welcome to another episode of Chart of Fortune, the astrology podcast where I look at the birth charts of the moments and things that made pop culture. I'm your host, Elise Blaylock, and I wish I may, I wish I might become my sister for a night. If you know, then you know. And if you don't know, then that's my subtle way of telling you that this podcast episode is dedicated to the 1996 made-for-TV but airing permanently in our hearts, body swap film, Wish Upon a Star. Don't worry if you've never seen this movie or if it's been like years since you've seen this movie. Uh, You could be forgiven because the movie poster and like all of the marketing stuff has all of the soft focus photos and charm of those velvet blankets that they sell outside of gas stations. Again, if you know, you know. And if you don't know, be thankful. But I would encourage you to watch this movie, not The Velvet Blankets, because it's free on YouTube. Just in case, though, I'm going to cover what you need to know. But before I get into Wish Upon a Star and the magic that is, we here at Chart of Fortune HQ believe in what I'm going to call somewhat radical slash radical adjacent honesty, which in this case requires me to give you a little bit of information, and that is that I plan and pre-plan episodes and then sometimes, and you might know this feeling in your own life, it just like doesn't feel right. It's not the right episode for the week. It's the same feeling I get when I try on what I thought was a cute outfit and realize it's not cute. It's weird. I thought I would look like Alexa Chung, but I just look like I got into a fight with like a wardrobe stylist on like the sex set of like Emily in Paris. It's not good. This is the only natural result, of course, for me not wearing real pants for 15 months straight. So here we are. But this wackadoo outfit energy that I had about this week can be directly traced back to the emergency Benefer episode. I'm a Virgo moon. I like structure. When structure gets upended, I have a hard time. I also have three planets in Capricorn. I am not making this up. But I could simply not ignore the 2000s relevancy of this romantic rekindling that was thrust upon us in pop culture. Like, could I honestly consider myself a millennial and self-appointed pop culture comptroller? Okay, I just found out comptroller involves money and counting, so I may need to rethink that. If I did not drop everything and devote time to the original nickname-generating celebrity relationship, like if I ignored the weird consequence that the re- the rekindling, the rebranding, the resurgence of Benjamin and Cicadas, both coming back into our lives 17 years after they were last spotted out. If I, did, if I just like didn't touch on that, it would be like Jennifer Lopez ordering coffee at Dunkin' Donuts and not Starbucks. You've seen the glittery Starbucks mug. I guess the theme for this episode is if you know, you know. Like if I, me not covering this, is me being Jennifer Lopez ordering like a Dunkin' Donut coffee. It would be incredibly authentic and off-brand. But this is to say that it has thrown off my podcast calendar like the slightest amount. Now, I don't expect you to empathize with my own strange need to write down what's going to happen every week. But the same nonsense that I was feeling could be said for this episode because real talk I got most of the way through an episode and I realized it was not gonna work it was very John Mulaney dating Olivia Munn energy like it's not cursed or tragic or macabre maybe not yet but it was leaving me shaking my head and going like what the fuck is this what am I supposed to do with this this is not going to work And I'm sorry, John and Olivia. I hope you both are, like, doing well and things, I guess, whatever. Anyway, I really, really wanted to find a topic that fit with this ongoing Gemini-Sagittarius eclipse cycle that we are living through. This is back, of course, after a brief pause from late 2020. I'll get more into the dates in a minute. But we're back into eclipse season. We're having a lunar eclipse that is airing the day that this podcast comes out, which is Wednesday, May 26th, and on this day, the sun is in five degrees of Gemini, and the moon is going to be in five degrees of Sagittarius. So, lunar eclipse, the moon is in the opposite sign of the sun, exact degrees. Um, we, it has, like, that full moon-ness, right? Like, if there was one word for eclipses that I was allowed to use, it would be unexpected. 
And if I was like really feeling it and feeling wild and crazy and perhaps verbose, and I could have more than a single word for eclipses, it would be unexpected change or unexpected revelations or, you know, the idea that information is coming out of the, you know, ether and into our minds. There's like some serious mystery novel reveals kind of vibes, like the Scooby-Doo part where they take the mask off of like the bad guy at the end, but like more intense, like there's fog and less weed smoking. Okay. That's the, that's the eclipse vibes when it rolls on in. Right. And I'm going to talk about the birth chart for this movie in a minute, but I want to touch on the fact that whenever you listen to this, it will probably be a couple days after this eclipse has gone down. And I think we ought to just like put that energy out there. I'm a Gemini sun. So I have been, um, I don't know what the polite word for not fucking looking forward to this eclipse cycle for a, a while. So if you are in that spot, if you know people, um, think about us, check on your mutable friends, offer to send beverages of adults or caffeinated varieties, but like, let's get into the eclipse and it will make sense why this movie was the movie that we had to do this week. So the eclipses are going to be in two signs. It's always that way. It's always going to be opposite signs right now. Gemini, Sagittarius. These are going to stick around until I think it's December 3rd of this year. That's when that's going to end. And that means that there's going to be these Gemini, Sagittarius themes like all around us. As this general rule, eclipses that involve Gemini, Sagittarius, it's going to have themes of communication and information. Those things kind of coming together. Gemini and Sagittarius are people, are signs that both love information, but they have really different viewpoints on information because Gemini is all about facts. So Geminis like things like who, what, when, where, why, and they like to share that information. Uh, I am a Gemini. I am the, that terrible person who pushes up their glasses and goes, well, actually, this is like the big difference between an alligator and a crocodile and That's how I'm able to host a podcast is because I have no friends. So uh, I get it. It's irritating. We like to share information. We want you to know that we know that we know. Like, you know that we know that we know. Um, But Sagittarius is a little more evolved from that. It's the concept of truth that they're interested in. These higher ideals. Like, what is real and what is perception? Do you kind of get the difference? Like one of them is like a bullet point list of facts, right? Like fun facts. Gemini, love a fun fact, love a trivia moment. Sagittarius, this is a thought about like what is actually happening? What are the beliefs that hold our, you know, life together? What is the meaning of life? And we need both of them. That's the thing about polarities is they're getting at the same larger goal, but they're just going about it really differently. We need both of them, though, to be full people, just like we need all 12 signs in our birth chart. Because without facts and just focusing on philosophical truths, we can't learn anything tangible. And without, you know, just having, if we just had philosophy We wouldn't be able to learn things like, you know, hard sciences. It would be like we took this philosophy book to a chemistry class. They aren't the same. They they don't meet the same needs. And on the other hand, if we just go like full Gemini, right, only facts, that's not what the human experience is fully about. Like we need philosophy and belief to learn the other non-tangible truths of our world, right? And if you're wondering... What I'm wondering every time some large transit comes along is, how is this going to affect me? Is this going to affect me? And the truth about this eclipse is, it probably will affect you. It will hit somewhere in your birth chart. The real challenge with eclipses and other more unexpected transits is knowing how this eclipse and the other three eclipses that we have left this year will impact you. Eclipse horoscopes or predictions, if you've looked them up on social media or just on Google, they often feel really vague. And that is a feature, not a flaw. That's inherent in this. For one thing, we're talking about an eclipse, which in and of itself is going to go down in an unexpected way. So that's hard to anticipate because you have to expect the unexpected. And secondly, 
everyone has a different birth chart and they have different life circumstances and they have different things that are rattling around in their brains that feel like more important than other things right now. So where your reticular focus is, I think is the polite way of uh, describing my anxiety. So because of that information, that will change how this eclipse impacts you. And it's not possible for an astrologer to make these general, you know, predictions about an eclipse and have them be like specific enough to really highlight your birth chart, your life circumstances, the things that are consuming your thoughts and that you're concerned about or that are likely to be affected by this eclipse. So you have to do a little homework on your own if you want to. Now, you don't have to, but if you feel like you want to kind of gear up for the eclipses yet to come and think about what might be happening with the eclipse that's happening today on May 26th, you need to consider checking out what houses are Gemini and Sagittarius in your birth chart. To do this, you will need a rising sign. So you would need to know your birth time. And you just want to look at what houses, um, what house is Gemini ruling? What house is Sagittarius ruling? I'll give you a hint. They're going to be seven apart. So if you are a Gemini rising person, that means that Gemini is in your first house. And that means that Sagittarius is in your seventh. And these eclipses might... Uh, drum up some stuff about you, your identity, and then the seventh house, which is relationships. So that's just one example. But if you don't have your birth time or you might feel like these houses don't quite resonate for me, you can also look and see if you have any planets that are close to five degrees of Sagittarius or Gemini. This is also going to be really useful to see if you have mutable signs in your chart that are anywhere near five degrees. So that's going to be Gemini, Sagittarius, Virgo, Pisces, because those placements are going to be really affected by this eclipse because they're going to be really close to the signs that the sun and the moon are in when the eclipse happens. All this to say is you don't have to lift a damn thing because there's no way to know what will happen and there's no way to anticipate how to prepare for this. And frankly, I mean, maybe this sounds fatalistic, but if something's going to happen and you don't prepare for it, it's going to happen regardless. If it's supposed to rain tomorrow and you decide you don't want to wear a rain jacket, then you're probably going to get just as wet as if you brought the wrong jacket. So if this feels overwhelming or feels like too much work, then the reality is, is what's going to happen is what's going to happen. And, you know, you will just roll with the punches because you've done that this far. So... The other thing I would say to you is if you have a journal, if you're someone who does that kind of looking back thing, that's helpful for you. I would consider looking around late November, mid-December of last year. I think it was November 30th and December 14th or 15th. That's when these eclipses were last hanging out in these signs. So there could be stuff just like a retrograde period where it's coming back to say, hey, so if you're looking at your journal and you're like, what was going on? in that time between like Thanksgiving and Christmas in the U.S., then there might be something to that. There might be themes that are rolling on in again, and there could be unexpected changes on those fronts. Okay, so with that, that's what we're living through. And this is the moment where I tell you how the eclipses that we're living through relate to this movie, Wish Upon a Star. So the basic plot is this. It has eclipse energy, okay? This is the story of Wish Upon a Star. It's it's pretty straightforward. You have to remember this was a Disney television movie in 1996. So we're not dealing with like inception level plots here. We're talking about the Wheaton sisters. There's Alexia, who is a senior in high school and played by Katherine Heigl, and Haley Wheaton, who is Daniel Harris, and she is a sophomore in high school. And they are complete opposites of one another. Haley is passionate about science, she cares about her grades, and she is really opposed to her sister Alexia, who seems to be like the most popular girl in school, has the star basketball player for her boyfriend, and spends most of her time in short, tight, and kind of like semi-plastic made material clothing. So during her astronomy homework, while she's looking up at the constellations, I feel like Haley's like low-key considering astrology at this point. She wishes to swap places with her sister. And she does this after she sees a shooting star. And, you know, the kind of conventional wisdom is if you see a shooting star, then you should wish on it. If you're me and you go outside and you thought you saw, saw a shooting star and it turns out to be a satellite, 
make that wish anyway. Maybe it'll come true. I'm still working on it. Anyway, the next morning, as you can imagine, Haley and Alexia wake up and realize that they have swapped bodies with one another, that they still have to go to high school and they have a really busy week. So for the first day, they agree, okay, we'll just do our best. And then the second day, they plot revenge on each other. And through a series of events and kind of personal growth moments, they realize that they have to work together for this to go well, for them to be able to be swapped back. And also so that Alexia can be crowned queen of the winter dance and Haley can win her school science fair so she can compete at nationals. They realize that they have to work with one another. They have to help each other because in helping each other, they can teach the other person a skill set that they might be lacking. In Haley's case, she's incredibly good at school um, and very self-possessed, but she becomes more confident and stylish and more secure in who she is. And Alexia, who has long been failing school and has like a 2.07 GPA, which I'm still not sure how they calculated that, but she improves her grades and realizes that if she does apply herself, she is not dumb. She has just been not doing the work. And then... After they they grow as people, after they realize that they both wished to be the other person and that's how they switched bodies, they switch back in time to go to the school dance. And the movie ends and there's this really, really long, like uncomfortably long, like honestly, it's just, it's really, it's, it's really long ending scene where they make eye contact while slow dancing with other dudes and smile to one another. So we know that like, They've overcome their conflicts and they like care about each other and they're in a good place. But this movie follows this kind of eclipse energy cycle, this kind of evolution of behavior following an eclipse, right? There's the shock of the eclipse itself, which in this movie is them swapping bodies. And then there's the sabotage and, you know, the anger and frustration of not wanting to accept the situation that this switching bodies has presented or maybe in our case the eclipse reveals something to us and we just like don't like the information we've been given um we're just like that's not no I don't want to agree with that I don't want to think that about that person or that job or myself that's like not gonna work for me and then there is eventually this acceptance of this unexpected change and the moment where you realize, okay, there are two astrological signs happening in these eclipses and I need to hone in on those skills and those themes if I want to move forward. If you can work with both signs in the eclipse series, just like how these sisters have to work together, then you're going to have an easier time navigating life after you've switched bodies with your popular sister or experienced an eclipse and are navigating the shocks and twists and turns that follow. Ultimately, Eclipse series is, are about the polarity signs, so two opposite signs coming together to create big change, and this is true of the sisters as well. But the most undeniable astrological connection is simply the fact that the movie's release date when it premiered on Disney was October 12, 1996, and this coincided with an eclipse. I know. I started researching this and found this out and was like, this is the universe telling me to do this. So, what I'm talking about is on October 12th, 1996, there was a solar eclipse. And we'll get into the details in a minute. For the birth chart that I used, um, I did October 12th, 1996. I used the birthplace um, as the filming location in West Valley, Utah. So that's a suburb of Salt Lake City, if you are looking for some context. And I used an 8 p.m. birth time. I often use noon, but this is the deal. This is a Disney Channel movie, and the rule about Disney Channel movies is that they do not air at noon. They typically air sometime between 8 and 10 p.m. at night. So I chose 8 p.m. Um, that's what we're doing. The chart, of course, has its sun and moon in Libra because it's a solar eclipse. So the general thing you need to know is that solar eclipses are always going to be when the sun and moon are in the exact same degree and the exact same sign, right? It's like, a new moon and then the full moon lunar eclipse is the energy of the sun is in one sign and the moon is in another sign the opposite sign but the degrees are the same the other thing you need to know is that solar eclipses and lunar eclipses are kind of the same idea but from an astrological standpoint they have a different 
you know, like signification, right? Like just as an astrologer, an astronomer would say to you, well, this eclipse, like a full eclipse that we had a couple of years ago where it completely blocked out the sun is going to be really different than a partial eclipse. So in this case, solar eclipses are thought to have like a more, slightly more positive vibe than lunar eclipses. And that's kind of comes from an ancient place because they really thought about the fact that it was lighter and brighter because the sun is out. So the sun is like a a source of light and warmth. So a solar eclipse might have a more positive kind of connotation. Uh, Susan Miller, who is basically like the queen of online horoscopes, chances are you've read a Susan Miller article or you've gotten a horoscope from her website or when she writes for publications. She talks about solar eclipses and lunar eclipses being denoting like beginnings and ends because eclipses often write our unexpected change. So it could be that something is ending or beginning. Solar eclipses are often going to have signifiers that are the beginning of something. And lunar eclipses are going to signal things that are coming to a close. Or sometimes if it's a little more minute, it's the idea that one chapter of that is closing. So one iteration of it is changing and we're going to evolve into the next thing. Now, in the case of this movie, there are several beginnings that this eclipse, because it was a solar eclipse, ushered in. Specifically, first and foremost, this is Katherine Heigl's first breakthrough role in a real way. And Katherine Heigl and Daniel Harris are both working actors. Um, Daniel Harris has kind of gone on to become a scream queen. She's in a ton of scary movies. Katherine Heigl, you probably, if you don't know who Katherine Heigl is exactly, you probably have seen a rom-com that she was in, like 27 Dresses. Or, honestly, Grey's Anatomy. That's kind of the big Katherine Heigl role. Now, if you watch Wish Upon a Star, it is clear also that the this eclipse, this solar eclipse, has this resonance where other teen movies have similar plot points or devices that happen that are paying homage possibly to this film. So, first, first and foremost, Alexia has like a very defined kind of 90s fashion sense. Um, And she's a very meticulously organized closet. She also has an open air Jeep. And this closet fashion sense and that open air Jeep are later going to be kind of echoed in Clueless. Uh, The other thing that you'll want to maybe consider is if you watch the movie, at the end, Alexia, of course, wins the Winter Queen crown. Um, And there's kind of this Mean Girls moment where instead of breaking the, the crown into a million little pieces and talking about herself and sharing it, Alexia, you know, pulls Haley close to her and then puts the crown on her little sister's head. The other thing that is a Mean Girls parallel is Haley also attends the school dance just hours after she competed in a science fair. And it kind of had that Lindsay Lohan when she's Katie in Mean Girls and she goes to prom after her mathlete competition. Um, if you feel like you want some of these connections, you want to little, learn a little more, there's a really excellent podcast called The Shaterian uh, Collection, and they did an episode on this movie. Um, really fun. So the movie also predates what I'm going to call the DCOM universe. This is where like Disney heads, you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, DCOM is an acronym that stands for Disney Channel Original Movie. So when we talk about that, it's a way to differentiate between feature films that Disney makes. So like the idea that there was like the Lizzie McGuire movie, which was in theaters. And then like a decom movie would be like the Even Stevens movie where it was a Disney movie, but it only was aired on TV. It was never available in like um, a large theater. So we call them decoms, Disney Channel original movie. So this movie is not a decom movie. I actually thought it was, and I did learn that it was not because research, but it was interestingly, it kind of was one of the last few films to be presented by Disney, but not considered to be made for Disney channel. So basically this film was made and Disney had the rights. I think they probably had always wanted to purchase the rights for the movie and it was probably made for them, but it was not considered a Disney channel original movie. So Disney just aired the film. It's its entirety and then a little after a year after this movie airs so it's going to be October again of 1997 Disney's going to start having its production model to have movies that are specifically decom and they're going to start using that phrase so this film also interestingly enough while we're on the decom subject 
It was shot entirely in Utah. I mentioned that it was a suburb of Salt Lake City. And if you are a DCOM head, then you know that there is another movie that is pretty famous. That is a Disney Channel original movie from Utah. And that is High School Musical. That was also shot in the suburb of Salt Lake City. Um, My understanding of a map, which is, it makes me frightened to admit this, but not great. But anyway, it reads as though Wish Upon a Star was in the, like, West area, and then High School Musical, I'm sorry, it must be that it was West High, I think, is High School Musical, and then the Eastern Suburb is where they filmed Wish Upon a Star. Obviously, there's a slight uh, time difference, so they were not filming at the same time, but... Okay, I also wanted to talk about the fact that, yes, there is an eclipse, but I also want to talk about the birth chart as a whole, so more of the kind of stuff we do on a normal episode. And just straight off the bat, looking at this chart, there is a Venus vibe for days. Using that 8 p.m. birth chart, now again, if we knew the exact time, this would be really, really helpful, but we don't. So we're kind of guesstimating. This 8 p.m. birth time gives the chart a Taurus rising. So we already have Libra sun, Libra moon. Now we're a Taurus rising. All this Venus energy, Venusian, right? Because Venus is the ruling planet of Libra and Taurus. It's like all the Venus energy you can pack into 19 minutes. And to me, that means that we should spend a moment talking about the things that the planet Venus rules or represents. This movie revolves around relationships, specifically two sisters who do not see eye to eye. We have... Alexia and her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Kyle. And there's some smaller subplots throughout the film about, like, Caitlin, who is Haley's friend, and her relationship with Haley, and then her relationship with Alexia, their new neighbor, whose name is Simon Small, and his kind of courtship with Haley. And we also have Alexia and Haley's parents, Ben and Nan, who are both psychologists or psychiatrists, uh, and they're planning to write a book about kind of their hands-off parenting after the success of this body swap. The parents don't know there's a body swap. All they know is that the girls finally get along, and they, of course, assume that it's their wonderful actions that have led to that. So relationships, off the bat, super Venusian. Another thing that Venus is going to rule in our lives is stuff that's related to our appearance and our aesthetics, things as simple as, like, our skin, what kind of clothes we like to wear, how we like to look. As a side note here, it is my sincere hope that if Alexia Wheaton was a real person, that she now owns stock in a makeup company because the sheer amount of silvery tone eye and lip makeup this character manages to rock in a 90-minute period is honestly astounding. Like, I mean, really. Bonnebelle only exists today because Alexia bought every single retractable flip shade lipstick. So thank you for your dedication, girl. But in general, the Venusness of the movie, it's interesting because a lot of the outfits, and this could just be that I'm in, born in the 80s, love a 90s moment, the fashion holds up for me. Even the fact that Haley has these like overstriped tees and cargo pants, it definitely feels like there are pieces of her wardrobe that Billie Eilish and like Haley Bieber would be really tempted to borrow and I could very much see them wearing. Alexia and her friends also have these like very Venusian rules about their lives. You have to shave every day, so shave your legs, and you cannot repeat outfits in a week. These rules are going to be ones that Haley and Alexia's body is, of course, going to ignore and cause issues with. I also think that I am really partial to this movie because I probably saw it when I was like 10. So I was at an impressionable age and just seeing Katherine Heigl in like a mini skirt. She had this shoulder length bob with the flipped out ends and she had these satin bow barrettes like tucked behind her ears. It just felt like very aspirational. I was very much here for it. Like why wouldn't I want to drive a red open air Jeep in Utah in the winter? Like why wouldn't I want to date a goofy looking brunette guy who is going to at best, I'm sorry, Kyle, but this is true become a regional manager at like circuit city like this is what life is for it's for living this now i did eventually when i got to high school channel this movie and had a ton of knee socks but i was nowhere as near as on point as the fashion we see in this movie 
I think there is an overall tendency to ascribe all these like fun, cool, cutesy things to Venus. And I don't disagree with that. But I do think that every planet has a little bit of darkness or a downside or stuff that we want to be mindful of. Because if we don't consider both sides of it, then we're not really taking it to the full effect of what each planet represents. And there is some stuff in this movie and what was happening at the time that is a, it's a little dark. Um, the first thing is this thought of like eating, dieting, like what we, you know, this kind of what values we place on our physical appearance. In the movie, we see that the popular girls have basically a very strict diet of Diet Cokes. They eat salad at home, rice cakes, and Tic Tacs for lunch. So Alexia informs her parents over the course of the movie a couple different times that she is doing on a diet and then she's doing a fruit and veggie fast because she has to fit into her winter ball dress. And Katherine Heigl, who I'm not a huge fan of, but anyway, this this made me kind of change my opinion. But she talked about making this movie in an, in an interview um, that was posted on MTV.com and she was talking about being 17 and saying, quote, this is so sad, but I remember... Because I was 17 when we did that movie, and that was the time I physically stopped being able to just eat whatever I wanted and stay still stay skinny. Trying so hard to stay skinny, Heigl said. I didn't understand calorie counting, but I was doing a Cindy Crawford workout every day. End quote. And knowing this information and watching this movie as a 30-something-year-old made me feel really gross. Because if you watch this movie, Katherine Heigl's body is truly insane. And the idea that she was not only worrying about her body, but then portraying a person who was being obsessed with about her weight just feels like this kind of like snake eating its tail of body issues where you already feel that then you're portraying someone who else feels that. So it probably makes you feel like the, you know, nonsense in your head is totally real and totally normal. And it's like not worthy of exploring or not worthy of pushing back on. And finally, the other thing that I associate with Venus, um, Jessica Lignato talks about this a lot, and I really love it, is the idea that Venus rules our values. And there is a weird underlying tension in this movie that I, when watching it as a younger child, did not pick up on, but now, as a 30-something, was very clear to me. We, as an audience, are supposed to immediately think of Alexia this kind of promiscuous popular girl who's very vain and rude her friends have a three-month rule where you can only date a guy for three months um which is just honestly as an adult you're like this is the stupidest rule but I think as a younger person you're supposed to think that they're really edgy and cool and we see her you know like hang out with her boyfriend on a hot tub on a weeknight when her sister is like cramming for a test and doing all her homework we also see that Haley and her friend Caitlin regularly read Alexia's diary to figure out if she and Kyle have had sex yet. And that's kind of setting up this narrative of, you know, Alexia maybe being like sexually active and Haley not. And then there's this kind of weird fight that happens between the two of them when Haley, who is in Alexia's body, makes out with Kyle and she gets a hickey on her neck. And then Alexia, who is in Haley's body, is really angry and she argues that everyone will think that she's like trashy and cheap. But Haley, uh, but Haley, who is in Alexia's body, just like doesn't think it's a big deal that she got a hickey and she's kind of proud. I think this is somewhat the fact that she has a crush on Kyle, but also I think it's like she's dating Kyle. She's dated Kyle for a couple of months. Like they're just two teenagers. It's not that big a deal. And this is a a tension that kind of keeps building throughout the movie. There's one scene where the girls are cleaning up some graffiti in the bathroom that they actually did. And it's revealed that Alexia is still a virgin and she's very defensive about this with her sister. And she says, I have morals, Haley. Like we, the audience, you know, I think are left in this weird spot because as an adult, you think like, okay, she cares about Kyle. Like she's not acting out, you know, like they're, are we supposed to be relieved that Alexia isn't like this blonde, blonde adjacent floozy, but like she's actually respectable and clean and she wants to go to college and improve her grades. And like, she's not just sleeping around. Like, I don't think there's a consistent enough theme here to draw a conclusion about what the morals and values of these characters are about their sexuality and how we are supposed to feel like that or what the answer really is. And I think their tension about like, what is and isn't acceptable for a high school girl 
could be influenced by the fact that the director is a man named Blair True, and he originally made some early Disney movies you might have heard of called The Paper Brigade um, and a decom favorite of mine, Phantom of the Megaplex. But he has more recently shifted into more religious or religious-adjacent films. He and a BYU uh, professor directed a documentary called Meet the Mormons. And on first glance, I actually mistakenly thought that Meet the Mormons was maybe more like a introspective film about like people who are Mormon and kind of understanding their lives. But it is instead funded by the Mormon church. And the goal of this movie really seems to be that non-Mormons should be more educated about the faith. And this is kind of an introductory way to do that. He also directed a show I did not know exist called Chicken Soup for the Soul. There were a couple of episodes that he directed for that. Um, Haven't seen it, can't speak to it. But I do think there's this interesting religious expectation of filming in Utah and the idea that, you know, like good girls just don't do those kinds of things. And she doesn't do that because she has morals. Moving on, um, I also want to talk about some planetary aspects. So that means that there are like planets making connections with each other in the chart. There is a Jupiter-Venus trine um, in the chart I want to talk about. Venus is in 10 degrees of Virgo. Jupiter is in 10 degrees of Capricorn. So Jupiter and Venus forming a trine together is really, really nice. It's like really good. It's like a perfect Lexia Wheaton hair and fashion day. And in a birth chart, I think that it would imply that you're pretty darn blessed. Like the Wheatons live in a beautiful home. They seem to have a lot of money. They, you know, the, someone with this aspect in their birth chart might be someone who's very likable or well thought of. Um, they like to help others. But the downside here with Venus and Jupiter, there it can be small. There still are. It might be that they have trouble sticking to a budget. We see this when Alexia's dream prom dress is like $100 over what her parents said she could spend. But I also think this placement might speak to the idea that someone has deep interests and passions, but they might not be open to trying new things as readily. Both main characters, Alexia and Haley, have things that they are super into, they love, and they, through their relationship growing with one another, realize that they've kind of, you know, relied on those skills for a lot and they haven't worked on developing new skills. And I could see that Venus being things that we um, value and care about could be, you know, given this huge boost by Jupiter, but it might mean that we're ignoring other parts of our lives that we really ought to work on or that we just don't see as valuable, but would help us be more round people. I think it's interesting that Jupiter isn't an earth sign. Anytime we have a trine, it's going to be the same element. So right now we have this little earth sign pairing, and I think there is this pragmatic energy to an earth sign or and a certain level of decorum that I don't know if I see with other signs as much and if you watch this movie on YouTube there is a whole scene uh, basically in this revenge part of the day Haley dresses up as a dominatrix style like leather dress we find out that this was in fact Alexia's Halloween costume but it's this like dominatrix style leather dress it has silver chains all over it she pairs it with fishnet tights and some patent leather heels. And then she dances on top of a cafeteria table to embarrass her sister while they're still switched. Now, if you have watched this movie only on Disney, it's possible that you have never seen that scene. So if you know you've seen this movie and what I'm just describing didn't resonate, that's because that scene is not on the Disney Channel versions. So you know, this Venus values and Jupiter, it's, we got to make sure it's a teen movie, but it's Disneyfied. Another replacement that I want to talk about is this Mercury-Saturn opposition. Mercury is in six degrees of Libra and Saturn is in the two degrees of Aries. I could see someone with Mercury-Saturn opposition in their birth chart, maybe having a hard time communicating, or it might take them a while to get to what they want to say. Um, and I think this is a theme of the movie. Not communicating well happens a lot because our main characters are trying to navigate their own lives and needs in someone else's body. So there are a lot of mishaps. You know, Haley, for example, struggles in classes that she used to just dominate, math and science. Um, Alexia is judged harshly by her friends for not wearing makeup and not, you know, looking a certain way. 
And both of them have to figure out how to learn what they need to learn to make this less ideal situation a little better. And they have to ask for help. Ultimately, Alexia and Haley help each other with school assignments, and they also prepare one another for a science fair and a college admission interview. And while we end the movie and we do not know if Haley won the science competition and if Alexia got into the college that she wanted to, I think this goes back to that solar eclipse in Libra because it's about the idea when we see eclipses in the Libra Aries axis, so that's just a fancy way of saying it's in those signs, it's that delicate balance between the Libra getting things done of saying we get things done by doing it in relationships and we have accomplishments are with other people. And then Aries saying, I don't need anyone else. I can make this happen for myself, but I could risk the burnout of not having anyone to help me or anyone to bounce my ideas off of. There are also two placements in the chart. So these are just a planet in a certain degree and a sign that I want to talk about because they really fit the film and I really enjoyed seeing them in here. The first is that the chart has Mars in 20 degrees of Leo and this is about the outfit sabotage. This ties into the dominatrix scene. The first day that the girls are switched bodies, they're just like pissed off at each other. And, you know, there's the hickey. There's some other issues with uh, Haley's test at school. And it it comes to the idea that the second day, like this is it, it's revenge. Like it's on, bitch. That's that's what's happening. So Alexia in Haley's body decides that she will not be wearing those oversized striped T-shirts and cargo pants. She instead is going to walk that uh, Halloween dominatrix outfit. And as revenge, Haley in Alexia's body, and Haley has the advantage here because Haley in Alexia's body knows that it's prom queen, like their winter solstice dance photo, like the queen photos that day. So she decides that she's not going to shower. She's not going to do her hair. She won't wear makeup. And she's just going to dig through the laundry bin and wear the outfit from the day before. And I think that uh, it was pretty remarkable watching um, Daniel Harris make this face as Catherine Heigl comes down the stairs, like completely unkempt, looked like she's hungover in the clothes from the day before that are wrinkled and she hasn't showered and it's just such a mess. And astrologically, like Leo is incredibly ego driven and they do care about what they look like. They care how they present. They want a certain level of formality and regality. And Mars is the planet of action. So a good use of Mars in Libra is to take care of yourself and have pride in oneself and one's appearance. But if you're feeling the kind of conflict vibes of Mars, then deliberately sabotaging some fashion is basically declaring war for a Mars in Leo. We also have Uranus in the zero degree of Aquarius. And to me, this is like the most unexpected changes because Uranus and Aquarius being changes with a collective. And to me, this is all about some of the casting choices that they made on this movie. There's some interesting ones. For example, Danielle Harris, she plays Haley in the movie. She was hired three days before filming started, and they hired her at her audition. She didn't even leave the building where she auditioned before they were like, you, you're in this movie, pack your stuff, see you in Utah. The other thing that happened is Danielle is actually a year and a half older than her co-star, Katherine Heigl, who is played to be the older sister, Alexia. And if you watch the movie, you can kind of see that Danielle has this certain energy that she does a really good job of projecting as the older sister when they are swapped. But producers, you know, didn't think this would be an issue because there is a nine inch height difference with Katherine Heigl being 5'9 and Danielle Harris being five foot. And they thought that this height difference would automatically make everyone think that Danielle's character was younger than Katherine Heigl's character because the older sister is taller. Um, that's not really true for most people, but I suppose in high school you're not done growing, so that made sense. Um, the other really ridiculous fact, and I feel like I've been really mean to the character Kyle, but here we go. So Kyle, Alexia's boyfriend in the movie, is supposed to be this like all-star basketball player, like super jock. But the actor is a terrible basketball player. 
And the film actually had to spend a lot of time reshooting his gym scenes. And if I'm to be is to be believed that that is where they spent most of their time reshooting is him just not making those baskets. He's not Troy Bolton for the uh, High School Musical or High School Musical, the musical, the show heads. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up. It's right around this time in every episode that... I feel like I like to offer some vague promise of a movie becoming a musical or getting a reboot or something. And I totally, I totally need this. Like, I actually think a reboot would be really fun. I think Katherine Heigl and Daniel Harris are probably not opposed either. Um, They're still working, but, you know, this would be, I think this would be something that uh, I would really like to see. You know, this movie doesn't have the same cultural impact um, that other teen movies that were made around this time did. It's also straight to TV, so that could be part of it. But I cannot offer you, like, here's what's coming next for Wish Upon a Star. And to to try to make up for it, I'm going to, you know, engage in some light character personality analysis, or as I like to refer to it, salty sun sign astrology. So I watched this whole movie. It's 90 minutes. And the character development, much like the clothing that I have left that is appropriate for work, is, it's lacking. It's lacking. I didn't get a strong vibe from either character, and it's clear that the writers do a good job of getting us to care about the relationship of the sisters, but we're not really seeing, like, fully fleshed out people. So, I'm going to cover Haley, and then I'll cover Alexia. I think that Haley might be a Virgo sun, Scorpio moon. She has this very, especially in the beginning of the movie, this very Scorpio secretive energy about her own life. We don't know if she has a boyfriend. We find out she does not. But she also really loves to know about the secret lives of other people. And that felt very Scorpionic to me. I mentioned this before, but Haley and her friend Caitlin have kind of this after school ritual where they regularly read Alexia's diary and they try on her clothes when she's not home. Her love of learning, like Haley's love of learning and science, it felt very earth sign, very practical to me that she's very present with the material world. And, you know, this kind of culminates in Haley having this, I think it's an ethyl gas generator that runs on composted food at the science fair. She references the fact that her sister, you know, tossed an apple after one bite because it was mealy and she was able to use it to create this ethyl gas. And if her parents would allow her to have lanterns and they could have gas lanterns everywhere fueled by this machine she created you know there's this virgo energy of she is organized she is good at school she is very fastidious in that way she is someone who really tries hard on tests we see her with a bunch of a's in her binder and i think that Haley is someone who really adopts that virgo practicality when it comes to her appearance right she, you know, thinks about her day, all the things that she's going to have to do, her science year project, she has to tote back and forth, and she's going to pick a comfortable jean, like comfortable jeans, baggier pants for, you know, carrying lots of stuff, and her striped t-shirt, because it's easy. I think she evolves throughout the movie, and kind of embraces some more evolved Scorpio features. You know, Scorpio in um, traditional astrology is ruled by Mars, and in modern astrology, Pluto, and Basically, there are themes of this success or having coming into power. And I think that Haley does kind of come out of her little scorpion shell to maybe, you know, consider her fashion sense. And if that's how she always wants to dress. And she ends the movie with asking a guy that she thinks is cute to dance with her. She isn't afraid to ask for what she needs. She realizes that she can lean into her emotions and she can have a personal life instead of just working hard and being the A student that there is more to life than just being successful. Now, I think Alexia might be a Leo Sun Libra Moon. We don't get a lot of emotional resonance for her, but we know that she's incredibly interested in her appearance. We know that she has that Leo natural leader kind of energy, but she channels, you know, eventually her Leo traits into being a protector for her sister and their friend Caitlin. The popular girls basically invite, have Caitlin invites them over for dinner and these girls decide to in like something that feels like another homage to a teen movie, um, 10 Things They Hate About You, throw a party at her house without her knowing it. So they handed all these flyers. Caitlin finds out. And then Alexia comes to her defense and tells the popular girls that they better cancel that party. She also 
I think moves away from those unevolved Leo tropes we see in, you know, like memes of being haughty or acting like they're better than everyone else. I think the Libra moon for me is the fact that Alexia really is happiest in a relationship. She likes having friends. She likes having a boyfriend. And the fact that she spends the whole movie being off and on with Kyle and like realizing she really does want to be with him makes me feel like she has a Libra moon that really just seeks that comfort in being in connection with another person. So I'll end it there and just say thank you for listening to Chart of Fortune. As always, if you have questions, comments, or ideas for a future episode, please let me know. You can email me at chartoffortune at gmail.com or you can come say hey on Instagram. Um, I'm there pretty frequently. Please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star rating and review. It helps other people join the Chart of Fortune pop culture astrology posse. And I think we want them here. And I want you to know that we had a Taurus themed season or a Taurus themed episode last week. This isn't super Gemini themed, but do not worry. Um, as your resident Gemini, I will be spending the rest of my season, our season, paying homage to the Mercury ruled madness that is this time of year. So upcoming episodes will involve Gemini's real and fictional. And I, as a whole, am so excited for this summer's podcast lineup that I have going. I have, uh, I think, a special project in the works that I will drop in June, maybe. I don't know. Stay tuned. I'm super excited to share what's coming up with you guys. And I am so grateful that you are here. Okay. I love you. And I wish I was Alexia Wheaton. Bye.